You're listening to Novel Bound, a podcast dedicated to making you laugh and keeping you company. Each week, we're sharing all of our favorite books and the embarrassing side of life. Welcome back to Novel Bound. I'm Anna. And I'm Celine. And today we are interviewing the lovely Sarah Adams, author. Do you want to say hi? Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. We are so excited to be able to pick your brain about your amazing books. We Do you want to read her introduction, Celine? Yeah. Okay. So Sarah was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Sarah loves her family, warm days, and making people smile. Sarah has dreamed of being a writer since she was a girl, but finally wrote her first novel when her daughters were napping and she no longer had any excuses to put it off. Sarah is a coffee addict, a British history nerd, a mom of two daughters, married to her best friend, and an indecisive introvert. Her hope is to always write stories that make you laugh, maybe even cry, but always leave you happier when you started reading. And I wanted to quickly share with you guys why I specifically reached out to Sarah Adams. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love about Sarah Adams is that she really, her books are guaranteed to give you those happy-go-lucky feelings. They are literally little pure pieces of sunshine. Um, Whenever someone has like a bad day, I'm like, you have to try one of her books because it was really good. I binged her whole series in a week. She's awesome. And these aren't, um, I found her on Kindle Unlimited. I know she's switching out of Kindle Unlimited because she does got published she's now becoming traditionally published but one of the things that I loved about her books is that it not only do you get that like those good fun feelings and fun adventure but the characters you really cling on to them they're memorable I think about them often and I think that she just really there's a lot more to her stories than just kisses and oh my gosh yes but she's really good at writing steam. Yeah. One of the things that makes her really unique too is that she uh, takes us to the door. She pushes up against, uh, pushes our characters <laughs> against the door, but the door stays closed. So she's really good at drawing up that line and we'll be talking about that a lot today. So that's why we have Sarah on. Yeah, we're so, so excited. Words. And just a couple of the books she's wrote is The Cheat Sheet, Off Limits Rule, The Match, The Temporary Roomie, The Enemy. Oof love that one I feel like the enemy was I think one of my favorites in terms of like steam and excitement and stuff like that but her cheat sheet book what when does it come out on paperback oh April 26th I think yeah, yeah. April 26th okay. so look out for you that. guys can grab a copy in store on bookshelves everywhere right yes everywhere how does that feel to say it that was, oh incredible <laughs> it's incredible yeah, yeah I still am pinching myself I'm like what <laughs> And one of the cool things about Sarah too, and the reason why we also wanted her to come on is because Sarah started out doing self-publishing and, um, a lot of people, you know, obviously we've interviewed a lot of traditional authors who have been publishing through different publishers. And so one of the things that is really cool is that Sarah marketed herself. And I think there's a lot of people that want to write, but don't really know how to even go that way. And so we wanted mm-hmm. Sarah to kind of share her insight, the things that she learned, the things that she was excited about, the things that she was like, Ooh, learn this so that you don't have to go through it. I mean, we'd want to hear it all. So that's kind of the tea. We are so excited. Ugh, okay. I'm so excited. Let's just jump into it. Okay. okay. The first question is one of the biggest strengths I found in your books is the realistic relationship arcs. How do you develop those so that they feel so natural? Well, I'm really happy that you feel that they're natural. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I ever set out to like make them feel natural as much as like compelling. Um, so pretty much whenever I start plotting, I like, I like to really get into my story before I start writing. Um, I'm, I'm a plotter meets pantser, I guess. So I like to have a, an outline. I like to have a lot of scenes plotted and then, um, 
usually when I get dra- like start drafting, it, it changes. <laughs> and so I allow myself to be able to veer off and go a new way. Um, but part of that plotting is just really diving into my characters and understanding their backstory, wh- what made them who they are, their hurts, their fears, all these things. And part of that is also their Enneagrams. Like I love Enneagrams. I'm obsessed with them. I'm an Enneagram six. Um, and so I love to find okay. what number <laughs> my characters are and then also see how those numbers relate to each other in relationship um, in a healthy relationship. And then whenever they're in an unhealthy version. And so usually I will kind of take those points and create a bouncing ball effect. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, so the bouncing ball is sort of like, you know, if you have a rubber bouncy ball and you hit it on the floor, it's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's kind of how I want my relationships to go to in a book. So that way it doesn't ever feel too stagnant for long. Okay. So my characters will sort of go up, you know, they get closer, they're healthy, these things. And then um, the ball falls again. And maybe they're taking a step back. Maybe it's that, you know, they kissed and it's like, oops, we weren't supposed to do that. So then they take a step back or they become closer emotionally and break through some walls, but then that sort of freaks them out. So they kind of take a step back. So you see what I mean? As far as like the bouncing ball. That's so smart. So I would say- that understanding their, their hurts and their fears and all of those kinds of things are what helped me form, I don't know, their whole relationship yeah. arc together and how they, how they come together. And then also how it helps pull them apart, push them apart, kind of knock into all of those places that they're afraid of. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is so, that makes so much sense, honestly. And we, me and Selena have talked so much. We are obsessed with Enneagrams. I'm a four and Selena's a three with seven like a, tendencies. There's like a three and a seven just warring inside of my body yes. at all times because I want to be fun, but also <laughs> like I need to make sure that there's a plan at all times. <laughs> I'm like so chill. I'm like so fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I love the idea of connecting your characters with an Enneagram because it gives them so much to pull from character wise, because you have this whole number to, yeah, that's really smart. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just gives you endless ideas for layering into your story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was really, I loved the idea of the bounce ball. And so it's really interesting the way you created, um, incidents. So one of the things, the reasons why I wanted to like talk to you specifically is because when you're writing in fantasy, not only are you creating the like obviously like chemistry and story building and stuff, but you also have to create this whole world. And with you, what I think is really cool is that the character stories have to carry everything, you know, in a contemporary, the experiences that they're going through, it's very character heavy rather than like world or magic heavy. And so you have to have these super strong characters that can carry the whole plot, you know, because that's what we're rooting for. Cause I know like with, with fantasy, I'll be like, Oh, I don't love this character right now, but I really love the world building. But with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with rom-com, you're like, I better like this main character or else (laughs) that's all we have, you know? (laughs) And, um, I think it's, I've never heard of the bounce ball thing. Like, I think that's so cool and how you create these inciting events to push them apart or whatever. And the way you layer it with the emotional and physical, that's super cool. Yeah. I don't think I came up with the bouncing ball. I can't remember if that, I think that's from story genius. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the author's name. I should have known that, but, um, (laughs) it's either from story genius or, um, save the cat writes a novel. 
Mm. I love Save the Cat. We do love Save the Cat. Yeah, definitely great books. I think that's super cool. Um, One of the things too that I think that I would like to talk about is the physical chemistry that um, make it feel realistic too. So when you're writing, obviously like there's those emotional conversations. And I think for me, it's a lot easier for my character, for me to plot out my character's emotions than the physical Mm -hmm. chemistry. And so when do you kind of know that the characters are going to touch a shoulder or, you know, snug close, like how do you provide those physical opportunities? And when you know that it's right, it doesn't feel weird. Oh my gosh. I, I like want them to be touching at all times. So I feel like in every single scene that they're together, I'm going to have them touching in some way. Um, whether it just be like a tiny little touch or something bigger, you know, I, I like for them to gr- to grow throughout the story. So I usually try to start kind of small and then build from there. Um, okay. But I don't know that there's ever and you just it let it ever... go. You mean you just like write and the characters tell you what to do? How does, yeah. that, does that happen to you? Cause that's so annoying. My characters oh my gosh, will be yes. like, I'm not ready yet for that kiss. I'm sorry. And I'll be like, what? I, ha- I put you in a library in the dark. You could have made <laughs> out. Why yes. are you not wanting to kiss him right now? I don't understand. <laughs> I said What's so scene. funny. What's so funny is that I love a good torture slow burn. Like I, mm-hmm. I just love to draw out as long as possible. And, and I do oh, breathe. Too- <laughs> she, I was like, make out already. I have tortured so <laughs> many people with that book. And I honestly feel bad about it. Um, and in my newest book that's coming out, When in Rome, with my publisher, my editor was like, okay, you're slow burn. Like, you got to throw in a kiss there sooner for your fans. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually have like an earlier kiss and I love it. But, um, I, I, so you, ha- you have my editor to thank for that basically. Cause I would love to torture my readers as long as possible. <laughs> well, tell us about like the art of a kiss. <laughs> like when you're writing it, how are you kind of, um, building that tension or setting things up, especially if it's an earlier kiss, mm-hmm. how kind of are you allowing, you know what I mean? Like how lead us into like when you're writing, like the evil things that go through your brain. Okay. So I will say, first of all, I feel like studying K dramas and, any sort of foreign romance is the best way to sort of physically see how you can write it. Okay. And in that, I mean, whenever you're watching one of, one of those movies, whenever they have any kind of touch or any kind of kiss or just, just anything, they literally slow down time in their movie show Mm -hmm. and zoom in. And like, I feel like we don't do that in America in our in our romance movies, it it sort of still moves kind of quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but whenever they like really, I mean, they really slow it down and they'll like, even, um, they'll even like repeat it. Like they'll they'll show you what happened. Oh yeah. And And you have like the, like the breath and like the, like all the things, but I love it because it lets you just really like settle into the scene and you can just see like their fingers grazing softly, like yeah. Whatever and then you don't is. have to escalate to something bigger because there's so much meaning in that specific. Like so much meaning in that. And you feel you're like, oh my gosh, why am I getting so hot over <laughs> these hands <laughs> brushing? It makes no sense, you know? All so about that tension. That's what I like to put into the to my kiss scenes or just any sort of touching, really. Yeah. Um, I like to slow it down. I like to sink into it and say, what are these like tiny moments that you know, would be easy to skip over, but instead you can just like really, really live in it. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's I love super that too. Cool. 
So I wanted to bring up an example from the cheat sheet because I think it's a really fun book. Obviously, we're keeping this episode spoiler free. So that way you guys can actually enjoy these books if you have not mm-hmm. already. But um, Nathan is a football player for the LA Sharks. So mm-hmm. fun. And um, his football team is so fun of full of fun characters that like I knew exactly who they were when they walked in the room. I knew exactly what their kind of personalities were. There's this whole entire part where they're trying to create a cheat sheet of their own. And I was laughing so hard throughout of it, throughout it, because I knew that like, I was like, oh my gosh, blah, 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 I was doing this. And blah, blah, blah. So one of the things that I love or in the book, oh yeah, it was uh, the temp- temporary roomie before the temporary roomie in the off limits rule. I was already, when, when the next book came out for uh, temporary roomie, I was like, oh my gosh, I already love Drew and I already love Jesse. So this is perfect. So when you create these side characters, they feel really real. Did that show up in that first draft? Yes and no. Um, I will say my first drafts are pretty, pretty bland. I try to just like get, just get the story out, just like a word vomit onto paper. Okay. It's not pretty. And then with every draft that I go back through, I'll layer. That's where I add Mm -hmm. all the fun things. Like, um, like in the cheat sheet, the Brinkets did not come through until the very last pass of that book, right before it went to editing. Um, so the same with my side characters, I feel like, um, so, okay. I don't want to spoil it either, but in that scene, when all the guys are together, I did have certain characters, um, doing different parts of that. And then I was like, wait, no, Derek is the player. He needs to be doing this. And Jamal is the conceited one. (laughs) He needs to be doing this. You know what I mean? So once I've like fully written a book, then I'm like, I can feel those characters better Mm -hmm. and I know what they would do. And that's where I kind of shift around, um, their actions or dialogue to fit that, that character. So it's unique to them. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So kind of getting to like the publishing route. So you're one of the biggest people we follow that did the self-publishing route and that's a huge hurdle and we know how difficult it can be. So we would just love for you to discuss what that journey was like for you and any tips to those who are choosing to be self-published. Um, and like, I know that now you are following the traditional route. So if you want to tell us anything about that, we would love that too. So yeah. So I am and take your time with it too. Just so you know, like you don't have to like rush it or condense it. Like we just <laughs> would love to hear it. However okay. it started. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'll start by saying I am self-published. I'm very proud of my self-published indie roots. Um, I feel like there's so much stigma around yes. self-publishing and it's really, it's really harmful. Um, I feel like the common narrative around it is that self-published authors are not as good of writers or they didn't have what it, what it takes to make it. And it's just not true. It's just not true at all. Generally, you have two types of writers who've been self-published. Um, the first is maybe someone who enjoys an entrepreneurial lifestyle and that's why they chose self-publishing. You know, they didn't want a gatekeeper. They wanted to be able to just get their story out exactly how they want They want to market the way they want. They want to be in control of every step of the way. So self-publishing was the right decision. And then maybe there's also the other side of authors who did submit to the traditional market and were rejected for whatever reason. Now, (laughs) the thing is, they probably weren't even rejected because their book wasn't good. It's because with the traditional market, you know, they're very selective on what they can take at that time because there's mm-hmm. only so many spots. So maybe they, you know, the 
the um, publisher thought it's not that it's a bad story. It's that it's not the kind of story that the market is conducive for at this moment. And so we can't take a risk on it. So then that author says, well, I disagree. I think that there is a place in the market for it. So I'm going to put my money, my resources, my time behind it, and I'm going to launch this book. And that is what self-publishing really is. It's a brave, vulnerable choice. And it takes a ton of work. And so I would love to see the narrative around self-publishing change and it be viewed more as a small business rather mm-hmm. than, you know, rather than something where people think, oh, well, they didn't make it. So they self-published. I honestly agree. And I feel like we've been seeing with the rise of, especially like bookstagram and book talk, the rise of self-publishing people being like, well, there is a market for this because they'll post one TikTok about the plot of their book and they have 50,000 comments about like, I would order this right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I love the entrepreneurial lifestyle. So it was sort of a no brainer for me. I was like, um, well, whenever I first started writing as a hobby, um, I wrote my book and then I sent it out to beta readers and, before like, you okay. start for one second, I really, okay. so off the record or not off the record, but when we were getting to know Sarah before the interview, she shared a lot about her vulnerable journey as a mother and kind of the escape for it. And I know that a lot of our listeners are moms or women that just haven't had a chance to really achieve any of those dreams. I'd love for you to share that experience because I know like it touched me really, really deeply when you shared that experience. So if you could share that real quick about why you started writing. I, that was really beautiful. So yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. So, um, whenever I was home with my kids, they were in the baby phase. They were Mm -hmm. all diapers and bottles and napping schedules and not sleeping at night. And it just was consuming. And I, I had this moment where I felt like, who am I, you know, who, who am I as a unique person Mm -hmm. outside of my children? And I really needed something. I was just craving something of my own. And so I had been reading a lot of historical fiction at the time because that is my first love. And (laughs) it's just the best. And so that, so uh, my brain just really wanted to tell a Regency story for my first story. It just felt natural. Um, so I wrote a version of Takana Gentleman, which is a Regency romance. And, um, it was only ever supposed to be a hobby. It was only supposed to be for me, very much a closet writer. No one was supposed to know except for my husband. (laughs) And then I got to the end of it and was like, first of all, I enjoyed this process so much. Every day when my kids were napping, I got to just escape into this other world and um, explore my own ideas about life. And it just felt very much like therapy to me. It still does to write. And so- Um, when I got to the end of this book, I was like, okay, well, shoot, I want somebody to read it, I think, which was also terrifying. So I sent it to my cousin who I just adore and she read it and was like, you have a talent. You've got to do something with this. And I was like, I don't know. So I sent it to a few more friends, just close friends. And they, and that I've realized is much harder than sending it to strangers, which I didn't realize that at the time, but I had, (sighs) I had no writing community at the time. It was just me and my computer and my friends, you know? So I sent it to them 
they were very kind and supportive. And Mm -hmm. um, obviously we're like just cheerleaders, which was what I needed. It's what every author needs in the beginning. And then from there, I, bookstagram was kind of starting to, you know, show up and it was still pretty small at the time though. And I met, um, uh, Martha keys is her name. Shout out to Martha. She's a Regency (laughs) writer as well. And she really, she was a couple books ahead of me at the time. And she really took me under her wing and was just so sweet to be like, this is what it's like self-publishing. I've loved it. Um, but here's what I also know about traditional publishing, you know, she talked just like endlessly with me. And I was like, I've got to self-publish. So I did, I self-published to Connor gentleman and, um, and it was great. I mean, I, I didn't have a huge readership right away. Obviously no one can really expect that unless you've had some sort of, um, maybe if you, if you're already a bookstagrammer or something and you have mm-hmm. a good following that you, you can shout out to everybody saying, I'm writing a book, you know, that's obviously great. I didn't have that. I had 10 followers and they were pretty much like my <laughs> husband, my, you know, my mom, <laughs> all those people. So, um, anyways, so then through those books, my regencies, I started to gain a readership. Um, but it still never quite felt like uh, home to me, I guess, writing. It still felt like a hobby at that point, writing Regency. And I needed a break from it. I was like trying to write a third book in that series and just wasn't, it wasn't clicking. I could not write the story. And so one of my friends was like, you should write something totally off the wall on the side, just uh, something no one will ever read. Okay. Which is your first mistake. If you ever say that nope. you're going to publish that book. Okay. So <laughs> I started writing the match then, um, my mother-in-law, she runs a service dog organization. And so it's very close to my heart. Yeah. And I just had this idea for Evie and Jake and, um, this like powerhouse woman with epilepsy. And I just really wanted to like show awareness. And, um, so I wrote that story. It was the fastest I've ever written a book to this day. That book just like fell out and, um, And then I did everything wrong at that point. I went into, (laughs) I I like cringe thinking about it. Okay. I do because (laughs) I got this book written and I have the cover and it's good. All that's fine. Um, And then I went into all the bookstagrammers like DMs and I just like cold called everyone. And now that's like really kind of a big no-no. You know, everybody's like, can you stop doing that? It's very awkward for us. (laughs) I realized that now, but then I was like, hi, you don't know. Yeah. Me. I feel like it's when it's like all you have and that's, that's what we did thinking of things. Yeah. Yeah. When we first got started with our podcast. I remember we like messaged people and we were like, hi, we have a <laughs> podcast. Would you like to be our friend? Yeah, <laughs> so I get I mean, it. You have to, you have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and put yourself out there. Even if it's cringy, even you'd be willing yeah. to make mistakes, you know? So anyways, I did that. And then I got this core group of bookstagrammers who were just so kind. They're like, sure, I'll read your book. And then yeah. literally, I feel like I owe my career to them because mm. they they took that book and just put so much love into it and shouted about it. You deserved and, it though. Your book oh, was really good. good. Yeah, you. it thank wouldn't have you. done it if it wasn't the book that you wrote. The match is amazing. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it just, it took off from there. But that's when I realized, uh-oh, this felt like home, you know, writing rom-com felt like the most me. And so 
I was like, well, I can't go back to Regency. <laughs> so I've left We're glad though. Poor, We're glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I've left my poor readers hanging over there. I'll still get messages three, during the week. That's like, are you ever going to finish the Dalton family series? I'm like, I don't know. For now, <laughs> Regency continues to be my escape read. You mm-hmm. know, it's where it's where I go to when I don't really want to think about craft. I just want to enjoy a story. So I'm like, I feel like I don't, I don't have any intention of going back to it currently because I like to keep it as my safe place. Yeah, you know? that's smart. And I also honestly. still love those early books too, because so much of my heart is in those, you know, I, I just really learned how to become a writer with those books. Yeah. So, um, and then from there, when the cheat sheet came out, which is my latest self-published book, um, it came out, ooh, I don't know, last September, maybe. And, um, I could be wrong. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) from there, I mean, it just, I did not anticipate what was going to happen with that book. I really wrote it for me. And I told all of my readers that ahead of time, I was like, you might hate this book because I literally wrote it for Mm. me. It has none of the, like, I didn't set out to say, I'm going to write this trope because it's popular right now or anything. I was just, I really wanted to tell Brie and Nathan's story. Yeah. So I wrote this, you know, with all these quirky characters and the team and all of that. And then um, it, it stayed in the top 100 of Amazon for like a month or something like crazy. And um, from there, it just like took off. And I had agents coming to me saying, I'd like to represent you. And then I had foreign publishers saying, we would like to publish your book. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this. So I had other friends who had are, who were already hybrid authors, you know, publishing in both spaces as far as traditional and self-published. And they said, if you ever want to be traditional, uh, traditionally published, now is your chance to do that. And I was already working on a new series, um, which is my, what would Audrey Hepburn do series, which will be launching this year, later this year. Um, and so I was like, well, I do want that. I really do want that. So they were like, just kind of don't do the normal process. Then just take your stats that you have and that you have all these inquiries already and reach out to your favorite agents and say, this is what's happening, you know, do with it <laughs> what you will. And so also another whirlwind, um, I submitted to several agents and then got calls back and, um, I ultimately found my agent who I have now, Kim Linetti. We had a phone call and I loved her immediately. It felt like friendship and trust just automatically. Um, So then, I mean, this all happened. Usually everything in traditional, in the traditional world is like moves at a snail pace. Um, But because of the whirlwind around cheat sheet, everything moved very quickly. So literally I got Kim as an agent within a week and then like, Right after that, we took um, part of my book on submission for um, When in Rome, and then ultimately found my publisher through Random House with that, and they acquired the cheat sheet as well. So it is being republished with them um, at the end of April. So yeah, that is my whole, (laughs) that is my whole publishing journey. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's so inspiring, the journey you've been on, and I feel like it's is attainable like it feels very within reach to like yeah hear your story so thank you for sharing it oh good I'm glad yeah yeah and Anna and I like we 
at least like I think Anna definitely you're set on going traditional publishing, right? I'm not set on anything for no, like I think you I'm very like talent too, my friend. I'm writing a book right now for me. And yeah. if it ends up being successful, it ends up being successful. If not, you know, Anna's really selfish with it. I have to sneak <laughs> into her Google Drive folder and read it myself. She, she won't share any <laughs> freaking work. I'd be like, oh, I really loved what you did there, Anna. She's like, what? And I was like, you didn't tell me that you wrote more last week, you jerk. <laughs> you freaking jerk. Anyways, I came up with some questions specifically just because, you know, you're for, you're, some of our listeners first experience ever hearing from somebody that's self-published. Mm. So there are a couple of things I just would love for you to kind of explain just okay. to people that have never heard about, you know, obviously uploading your work onto Kindle, you know, we're not going to do the tutorial, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when you did, there's so many questions. <laughs> when you did cheat sheet, did you do anything different or was it because it had built off of your past books and the reputation that you had gained from having quality writing plus bookstagram, or was there something different that you did with cheat sheet that you feel like somebody could learn from? Mm, no, I, it was very much building off of building. what I already had. Um, I will say and it's not an overnight success. I think a lot of people think, no. oh, they're just overnight success. I'm like mm-hmm. the overnight success from like the 10 years to become an overnight success, <laughs> you know? Right. Yes. Every single, like the whole, the self-published game is publishing a lot of books. And the hard part about it is, uh, you have to, you have to publish pretty quickly. Um, and you can, because, you know, it's just you doing it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're, hiring, that makes sense. you're hiring your own editors and proofreaders and all of that. So you can kind of make your own schedule. Whereas in the traditional world, they have a whole queue of books they're already working through. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't take quite as long to write a book as people think it's more the back end that usually takes a while. So with self-publishing, you're able to cut a lot of that time down, which allows you to put out, you know, a couple of books a year. And I will say that has that it's kind of controversial, you know, the whole like rapid release mm-hmm. sort of mindset. Yeah. Um, but that is very much what helped me. I think I put out like three books a year, which is actually kind My of brain slow is... for indie publishing. Well, yeah, I was going to talk about that too. I was yeah. um, researching into self-publishing yesterday and about how Kindle Unlimited, I think the average for what authors get paid is like 0.004 cents per page, right? Right. And so the way that, you know, if you were to get a lot of times self-publishing or not, like if you're not doing it to make money, it's just to get your book out there so that people can read it and stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you were to make income from it, you would want to, I was realizing, I was like, if you're getting paid per page, that means you need to get a lot of pages out there or a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a lot for authors. If you wanted to make an income, like a full, I mean, you either need to make your book get downloaded a bunch of times or bought by a bunch of people, or you need to write a lot of books. And I thought that was really interesting how much you would have to write in a year to like make an income. Mm-hmm. I thought that, and that made me really impressed with you because I was like, holy cow, people that are doing this in self-publishing, they have to work their butts off because they not only have to create it, but you also have to market yourself like crazy. Yes. Right. And that's ultimately why I decided to make the switch to traditional publishing because I, I seriously burned myself out writing yeah. so much and releasing. I was like, I just need to slow my pace down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that is what traditional publishing is able to offer for me. And I'm mm-hmm. loving, not to say that I won't self-publish anything in the future, <laughs> but for now it's, it's the perfect, you know, balance. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say if you're, if you're out there and you're considering self-publishing, you have to know it 
is pretty consuming. You know, you don't do it for the money either because I was doing the um, math yesterday. If if you wrote a 300 page book Mm -hmm. and a thousand people read it, you would make, I think it was, and they had to read the whole thing because obviously, you know, you get paid per page. You would only make $1,200 like total. Wait, that might be wrong. No, yeah, that's right. Cause it was three, if you read, yeah, but you'd only wow. make 1200. So if you, and to get a thousand readers is huge and I could yeah. be off in my numbers, please correct me if I'm wrong. Cause like well, I it's so, just this yesterday, it's honestly just so subjective because it, yeah. it just, it wholly depends. You know, there are self-published authors who make a fortune off mm-hmm. of their books. Um, yeah. And then there's others who have been in the business for years and are still struggling to get their books out there. And yeah. I am not, I don't claim to know the secret sauce to that. <laughs> you know, you, you'll yeah. need someone oh, way well, more experienced than me on here to do that. This makes no. you think the time that I we're think it's so fascinating. This, the time that we're recording this, and this is like so random. Um, have you seen like Brandon Sanderson's yes. GoFundMe thing? Yes. Like for him to self-publish all those books and he only wanted a million, but now he's up to 20 million. I, it really is subjective. Yes. I mean, that's oh. incredible. It's yeah. just astounding. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I definitely think you have to be, you have to be in it for the love of it. Um, oh, mm-hmm. but, but also you have to have a very business mindset to be yeah. an indie published author. You have to prepare to study marketing and ads and be good with time management and contracting out all the people that you need to help you. Yeah. You know, get no, your book sense. out there. Um, okay. So kind of not our last question, but the last question we have about like the self-traditional publishing way is when you were doing self-publishing, did you hire an editor to proofread for you? Like, how did that work? Did you just have, um, what is the partner thing called? words. Oh, beta readers. Absolutely. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I had people that were further ahead than me that guided me to put money into my books in the beginning. And so part of that was, um, having an actual editorial team mm-hmm. from the get-go. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I always use at least three beta readers and usually a critique partner as well, who is another author who will read as I go and give me her input. And then, um, from there I will get their whole input. And I, I have always had this process from book one that has never changed for me. So, um, I'll get her input or all of their input. And then just on general story, uh, development. So then I'll do another edit based on that. And then another edit and another edit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then once I feel like that's finished, I have a, um, a line editor who I send to who she goes through and, and just really shreds. (laughs) She makes my book (laughs) so much better. I, it would not be what it is without her. Um, and then after she's finished with it, um, usually I'll read through again, make sure I like everything, do any kind of extra little tweaks. And then I also send to a professional proofreader as well. Okay. And so then she proofreads and then always, always, always typos are always still there. They're so frustrating. Like it doesn't matter. So just don't feel bad if you've ever self-published your book. And then that first week you have readers dropping into your DMs like, Hey, I just wanted feel you like to know. 
Yeah. You cannot judge, especially after like we've started this series and I just read a book and I found a typo when I mean, and it was a big like weight release book. And we have three people be like, did you see the typo? And I'm like, I ignore the typo, ignore it yourself. Like it's a 600 page book and you're Can I just say about a typo. Yeah. The privilege that we had before and the entitlement we had before we started doing this. Like, oh my gosh. That was why we started doing this series was because like we would just judge authors and I'd be like, well, I just don't like da da da. And now we're trying to do all this stuff ourselves. And we're like, how did you even do that? How did you even <laughs> yeah. make this make sense? And you had one misspelled word. You go, girl. You go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, it's such a such a vulnerable experience to release a book. And so definitely becoming an author has opened my eyes greatly to, especially, you know, big authors who've been doing this for a while and have mega audiences, you know, Mm -hmm. they have readers from all different mindsets. And somehow they managed to write a book where the majority of readers enjoy it. You know, like what a talent. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, Okay. Something that you do that we admire so much, and it's something that we're trying to recreate in our own books is so Selena and I are both writing kind of steamy books that are closed door. So there's lots and lots of flirting and fun cuddling and kissing, but you know, nothing very explicitly intimate happening. So Mm -hmm. we'd love to discuss how you draw the line between kind of intimate and erotic and how you bring up the steam and the tension, but you also have that like closed door. Yeah. Where that line is for you or like how you came up with that personal Mm -hmm. line for your writing. I would say, um, well, first of all, it's very subjective, you know, steam is, and I've had this conversation on my Instagram a lot with readers and you'll be able to see just everybody has a different concept of what is considered explicit and what's not what's steamy and what's not. So for me, it's my line has always kind of been um, what you would see in a PG 13 movie, like a PG 13 rom-com, you know, what they would show is, is how far I'll go. And Mm. then if there's anything past that, I usually try to like, uh, zoom out, so to speak, you know, and and move into really vague poetic language. That's not going to offend anyone. So that that's, what's worked for me. That's where I feel comfortable writing. I I read all steam levels. I read open and closed door, but personally, I just like, I prefer to write closed door. So, you know, I think there's just a a personal tolerance level to it when I'm writing, Mm -hmm. I'll be like, it just feels natural where I'm going to cut it off. And usually it corresponds with what you would see in like how the hating game just released, you know, you, you have, you see their kissing and you mm-hmm. see their snuggling and you see them moving, but, but you don't get anything graphic ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it does. Do you have anything to add, Celine? No, I think that's super cool. I think that there's a lot of like, I think we had this conversation a little bit in the DMs the other day where I was like, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for authors to write more steam and for readers to read more steam, which is fine. People can read whatever level. But mm-hmm. I think um, sometimes it's hard to not feel like your scenes aren't good enough if they don't include like erotic things. Because people are like, well, how dirty is it? You know, mm-hmm. but one of the things and I love the way that you brought up the K-dramas is I want to feel the same feelings from when Darcy flexed his hand oh, at the, the hand and prejudice scene like that and then I've felt more feelings of that than I have when I've read like an explicit scene in a book you know and so for me I think the way that like I've been really trying and practicing you know is 
I like, actually I was taking notes the other day that I needed to write more in my second draft of them thinking about the other person more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That like when they weren't in the room, I wanted them to think about like physical features or traits or what it was like to be with them because I'm like, I can't just keep creating more moments for them to physically touch. And so I was trying to think like what kind of things, you know, as at my brain, I'm so like, it's so funny that we're so opposite because I have these like very long scenes where my main character, her name is Rayla. She's just like thinking about him and she's like, stop thinking about him. But I Please have to go me- in and add the little I'm gonna take like notes on your book. I'm going to take notes on your book. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to read your book and just highlight this little notes on your book. book. <laughs> but I like something I have been like trying to figure out to get more of the like natural touching and the tension building up before is like, like I didn't know that he was going to be as touchy of a person as he is, but he will like massage her eyebrows to like relax them. And he will like touch all her like hair and push her buttons. And Mm. it's just interesting trying to find what feels right on that line. Yeah. I think making sure to um, really focus on the emotions behind the touch is also what can make us the effects they have emotionally on the person. Right. Can make it feel a lot steamier even than it really is. Um, can we actually talk about, um, can we dissect for a second? One of the scenes that I really loved from your book, I think it was Brie and Nathan in the cheat sheet was the mm-hmm. me scene. Mm. Do you want to quickly, like, it's such a great scene and I don't think <laughs> we can, it's not any spoilers because it's like, yeah, it's just so great. Do you want to quickly describe it? And like how you kind of, cause the chemistry, the physical chemistry there mm-hmm. was so good and it was, it was sweeter than the brownie batter. So do you want to kind of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So in that scene, right, he comes home and she's standing on the countertop and she's trying to get, um, a bowl down or no, no, a pan to make brownies that she's already got her, her brownie batter on the counter. And so, um, the first like really steamy moment in that is he comes over and obviously helps her get down. Right. He like wraps his arms around her legs and then she like slowly slides down to the floor. And so that's one of those moments where I tried to like slow down time and focus. Cause she, she talks about it. Like, I can't remember exactly, but it's like, um, almost like a road worry, trip I- she's going on. What did you say? I said, don't worry. I highlighted it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So it's like a road trip or something. So she's like talking about it as if she's like taking photos along the way. Right. And so, um, she, you just like really get to like zoom in on all of his little face facial features and how he feels against her and all of that. Um, and then from there, they sort of get into a very slow food fight (laughs) where they're just like dipping their hands in the brownie Mm -hmm. batter. And then like, you know, she puts it across his eyebrows, but then he kind of takes it a step further and rubs it across her lips and stuff. Oh, I still, I still love that scene. I, I wrote it's it. It's like I a actually, literally guilty pleasure, like the perfect guilty pleasure scene. So <laughs> good. It is the first time he is like openly very, like says flirtatious things to her, you know, and you're kind of like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, what if I kissed you right now? What if we didn't cross this line? Cause they're best friends. They're best friends. And they both right. don't want to hurt that. But he is just trying so hard to show her that she cares but she's so oblivious it's so cute and so like at this moment my favorite scene is like basically he had her she was like backed up against the counter and his hands were like this and I was like "Ah!" (laughs) they're they're bracketing her on either side right this this is hotter 
this is gonna make me wake my husband up in the middle of the night to be like, babe, I just finished this part. Can we go make out for a minute? Just, just a minute. Um, but this is this is more like intimate and makes me feel more things than like erotic scenes. And I think it's mm. really cool, like the way that you kind of created that. I thought that was awesome. Ah, thank you. Yeah. After I wrote that scene, I literally, I texted it to my friend. I was like, just read it. Just read it. (laughs) They're going to, they might make out later. Not right now, but like later. I think she literally said, she was like, you're killing me. (laughs) Why did they not kiss? Like We were talking to Stephanie Garver in one of our episodes and I realized I'm like, you're writing a series where like the, the couple can't kiss. But yet, like in the first book, I am like getting oh, hot. There is like a graveyard scene kissed. that they haven't even kissed yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is true talent. It's so hard. It's so hard to do that. I admire that. Honestly, I think that regency so romance. For it. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and like letting us just spill the tea with you. It's been so fun getting to you. Thanks for you having have great me. advice. Oh, good. Oh, I'm glad. I feel like it's just, I'm just like always in my own head. So it's really fun to have to explain my own thought <laughs> process. You know, it's enlightening for me yeah. too. So that was <laughs> super cool. I'm glad. Yeah. We, we just want to thank you guys so much. Can you give us, give your listener or our listeners the, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? What's coming up next for you? What kind of things can we like support you on? Do you want to share that? Yeah. So the best place to follow me is on Instagram. That's where I share all of my information. My handle is at author Sarah Adams. And, um, my next release is the cheat sheet. Well, the special edition paperback that's being published through random house, and that will come out April 26th. You'll be able to find that everywhere. Um, my other self-published titles are available on Amazon and some are starting to show up in different retailers as I'm taking those slowly out of Kindle Unlimited, um, just so that way my readers can find my books everywhere now, Mm -hmm. rather than just exclusive to Amazon. Um, And then at the end of the year, I have a new series coming out with Random House as well. It's called What Would Audrey Hepburn Do? And the name of that book is When in Rome. And I'm very excited about that book. So excited. It's a grumpy sunshine trope. So the best trope. Yes. (laughs) You can tell us the blurb. Do you have a blurb for us? Uh, I don't have it on me. That's okay. No worries. You're still so... super hot. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. We will be stalking you. And guys, if you have not checked out her books, they please are so read hard. them. They, I read your books after I finish a book that was like emotionally devastating or which is hard to get through. I'm like, I have to give myself a treat. I have to give myself a treat and read one of her books. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. That's what I set out to do. That's what I wanted. I wanted to write a low angst book that was just you know, just like happy to read from beginning to end. So I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) Yay. I'm glad it's very true. So (laughs) thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll talk to you later. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.